believe, kind of goes with what we'll be talking about this morning. Something that we deal with every day of our life. The choices that we make, and those choices, God leaves up to us. Of course, there is the evaluation and judgment of those choices that God brings, but He wants us to come to Him willingly. This song is a fun song, I believe. The title I give you, Freedom, sometimes it's known as the Wibblewill song. <clears throat> I set the boundaries of the ocean past, formed out the mountains from the distant past, molded a man from the miry clay, breathing in life, but he went astray. I am the cattle on a thousand hills, I like the music for the Make your own choice. 
<clears throat> there are other statements in the song that said, My own children come to me by choice. Since your obedience is still your choice, and all of that is because only willing love is worth the price. God wants us to willingly come unto Him. God wants us to willingly obey Him. God wants us to willingly serve Him in all that we do. God wants us to come to Him in salvation, willingly, His pleasure, by choice. God wants us to yield to Him daily in our surrender to Him by our choice. Uh, this past Wednesday night, I had the privilege of uh, being one of the preachers of it, the Gospel Life Baptist at the road from us here in their tent revival. And the message that I preached, I started out with a statement that said, we must be different in order to make a difference. Being different, being different involves change. And change involves choices. The choices that we make that God speaks to our hearts in our response to that. God wants us to come to Him, to obey Him, to serve Him by choice, willingly. Three weeks ago, I started a uh, message, this message, a uh, two-part message, dealing with the first sons. And those first sons, of course, uh, to Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, and Steve uh, Kaminsky read Scripture this morning dealing with that. So we have uh, a little bit of information that we've already covered, and I know you remember exactly what I preached three weeks ago, and all the uh, application of that in your lives, correct? If I called on one of you right now, you could get up and testify to that point, I'm sure. But uh, I won't do that. But I hope that you do remember uh, God's truth. There are several uh, truths that it deals with in this particular account. It talks about good worship, it talks about bad actions, and talks about beneficial judgment that God brought there. Choices made the difference between these two sons. Those choices I want us to see. In part one, uh, we looked at Cain and Abel being born to Adam and Eve. Cain, the tiller of the ground, he was a farmer. Uh, Abel was the keeper of the sheep, of small animals, uh, shepherd. Uh, Adam had taught Cain and Abel when, where, and how to worship correctly. And we talked about that. The when probably was the Sabbath days. On a Saturday, God created uh, the heavens and the earth, all that's in that we know. Uh, he created everything in six days, Sunday being the first day of the week through, uh, through Friday. Um, and then on the seventh day, Saturday, he rested. It was the Sabbath. And so it was a time that which it would be worshipped. So it was probably the, the Saturday, seventh day, uh, that they would worship. It would have probably been the place would have been the brought maybe to the entrance there to the Garden of Eden. They couldn't go any longer. The Lord would not. But it was a very special place. That's speculation. But there was a particular place that they would have gone. And there was a way that they would come, how they would come. And God had told Adam, and Adam had taught his sons uh, how to do that. And it was through an animal being killed, a blood sacrifice. All of it was picturing the Lord Jesus Christ 
who would be the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world, our substitute. And so all of that would have been pictured for that purpose. God did that through the Old Testament. He did that with these two sons. So Adam and Eve had taught Cain and Abel the when to worship, the where to worship, and the how to worship correctly. Good worship. And uh, in the process of time, it says in verse 3, in the process of time, something happened here different. Now, how much process of time was it? We don't know. Uh, could it have been, I'm sure it had to be at least weeks or months uh, that they had been worshiping a certain way. But in the process of time, maybe the end, it could have been years uh, that Cain got in his head, why should I go to my brother to get an animal from him to sacrifice when I've got such a great crop of vegetables and food and so forth coming through? I'll just take the best of what I have and give that unto the Lord. Now, that's a sincere offer. But it was not an instructed offer. It was not following God's direction. So even though he was sincere in what he was trying to do, we'll see that it was not accepted by God. And there are many people today in our society that are worshiping God or trying to, even in, on a day such as today, and they're in their churches or in their place, and they are sincere in what they believe. They are sincere in what they're doing. But they're just sincerely wrong. And they're not coming the way that God has described. And therefore, by the lesson we see here, their offering too would be rejected. So we need to understand the importance of knowing how God wants us to come to Him and to come to God His way by choice. Doing what He said by choice, the way that we come to God today is by faith and believing in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, making a choice to receive what he did to be our payment of sin. And God says when we do that, our sins are forgiven. We're given a, a place with God in heaven. He begins immediately to work in our life and through us to change us into the image of his dear son. And righteousness is deposited in our account so that we are justified. We're made not just as if we had never sinned, but we're also declared righteous in God's sight. And we have that a great blessing because we come to God the way that He says. Now, as we look to part two, we see, as one man used to say, the rest of the story. And before we look at it, let's ask God's blessing. Father, we pause now, acknowledging that apart from you, we can do nothing. I pray that you would help me to be able to share very clearly the truth that you've laid from my heart, the truth of your word that you have given us here, the principles that we find and how it applies to us in such a way that when we finish, not only will we have listened and learned, but what I pray that we would have a submissive heart to respond to you willingly in a choice that you would be pleased with. For it's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. I want us to see two things primarily this morning in the message today. Cain's evil response and God's loving judgment. Those two things. First of all, 
And beginning in verse 4, uh, just uh, the second part of verse 4, it says, And the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering that he brought, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance failed. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wrong? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and to thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Let's see what all of this means. Uh, we see his anger, first of all, Cain's anger. Why was he wrought? The word wrought means very angry, furious. Uh, he was full of rage. His countenance fell. He had a change of, of expression, you may say, upon his face. Uh, a looking away. Um, and God says, why are you angry? Why, why are you, and your countenance falling? Did God not know? Yeah. Oh, he knew. God knows everything. But he's asking to get him to think about why is he angry? Why is his countenance falling? Uh, God certainly knew all of that. He knows all of, of, that, uh, of that with us. Um, but there was a problem not only with his action of not bringing a proper sacrifice, but there was a problem in Cain's attitude as God confronted him here, uh, where he says, uh, in a sense, by his expression and by his anger, I don't want to be corrected. I don't want you to talk to me about this. Have you, let me ask you, parents. Parents, have you ever dealt with your children when something that they've done is wrong? And you can tell they just don't want to have that conversation right now. It's kind of turning around, you know, it is. Uh, I'm standing right here with my feet are facing the door. <laughs> I want to get out of here. And that's kind of the attitude that Cain had. He did not want to be corrected. Let me ask you now a broken question to you. What in your life or mine causes us not to want to be corrected? Say it loud. Pride. Pride does not want to be confronted about being wrong. Pride does not want to admit that we are wrong. And when we confront our children and they're not wanting, as part of that pride within them, you know that they can have pride just like we can have pride. And when as adults, we don't want to God or anyone else confronting us about our wrong, most likely it's the pride is the root that's standing there and being seen and evident. Cain did not want, by his expression, he did not want the conversation with God. He did not want uh, God dealing with him about it. But notice it was God that initiated the, the, the uh, contact. Uh, in verse 6, it says, And the Lord said unto Cain, Cain didn't go look into the Lord. Now that's a problem sometimes when sin enters into our life and we don't do things the way that God has said and we know that we're, we're disobedient. <clears throat> we don't want to be around God. We don't want to talk to God. We don't want to read our scripture to let God talk to us. We're back away. That's part of the cause of the sin that is there. But God initiated contact. We have a seeking Savior. Isn't that wonderful? A seeking Savior, not just for salvation, but in salvation, the example is there. We're told in Romans 5, 8, that God commended His love toward us 
Lord, commend the things he demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were unlovely, while we were sinners, while we didn't want anything to do with him, he died for us to provide a way for salvation. He died for the people standing outside yelling, crucify him. He loved and he died for them. A seeking Savior. Not only does he seek us for salvation, but he seeks us to have fellowship, to enjoy fellowship, and even when we go astray, he is seeking us still. I love the fact that God sees us. He initiated contact. Verse 7, God gave a solution. He told him, if thou doest well, if you, if you do what's right, if you bring the right sacrifice, um, uh, shall thou not be accepted? I mean, simple remedy. Just go get the right sacrifice. Do it the way that I've said. Doing well is not talking about living good, but doing well to bring in the right sacrifice. If you do not well, he says, then sin lieth at the door. This is the first time in the Bible the word sin is used. That's not the first time we see sin, but it's the first time that it's used. The word sin means missing the mark. And that's what we see in Romans 3.23, which is all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's the mark. Perfection. The image of Jesus Christ. The glory of Jesus Christ. And when we sin, we miss the mark. And God finds us there, seeks us there, saves us at that point, and then puts us on a road to be changed into the image of, of Christ from glory to glory. And that's the process of sanctification. God is doing that entire work with us, and he seeks us to begin at salvation, and he has a solution to bring us to the, to the point of Jesus Christ and his image. But here we have sin lying at the door. Ah, sin, missing the mark. Lying at the door is the image there of the roaring lion that wants to devour. It's like a wild beast, uh, uh, sitting outside. Sin desires to have its way with us. Sin and Satan is connected so close together. Satan is the roaring lion. Satan wants to devour us. Satan uses sin and temptation to do that. All of it is connected together. Our responsibility is not to let sin rule over us, it says. We're not to let it rule over us. Over in the New Testament in Romans uh, chapter 6, we have the Apostle Paul that gives us that information about not letting sin rule anymore in our mortal fleshly body. In verse 3, and I'm going to skip to several verses here, but know the emphasis, and I wrote underline them in my Bible, know, 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 uh, knowing things. In verse 3 it says, Know you not that so many of us as were baptized unto Jesus Christ were baptized unto his death. To baptize there. So baptized first means immersion to be placed into. It also means identification. So if you will, if you understand right now, at salvation, the Holy Spirit of God immerses me into Jesus Christ. I am in Christ as a saved individual. That's my position of salvation. 
And so I am baptized unto Jesus Christ. I am also baptized, identified with his death. He has died, and I am to die unto myself. It has positionally taken place. Now the struggle is every day for it to practically take place in my life. But then look down at verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, with Christ, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Verse 9. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dies no more, death hath no more dominion or power over him. Verse 11. Likewise then, if you know these things, likewise then reckon or count to be true, Account you reckon yourself also to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The same idea. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign or rule in your mortal physical body, that you should obey it to the lust thereof. We have a truth before us. Jesus Christ died not just to forgive our sins and take us to heaven. He died to free us from the very power of sin over us. It does not rule over us. It cannot rule over us unless we allow it. And so we're in a choice situation. We have a choice to yield ourselves unto sin or a choice to yield ourselves unto righteousness. And that's what the next verse is. Verse 13, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness and sin, but yield yourselves unto God, <coughs> unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have, not anymore, have dominion over you. <coughs> what a truth we have concerning what God tells here in his anger. <coughs> After God's solution that he gave to Cain, what was Cain's response to God? What did Cain say to God? <coughs> the answer is not a word. He didn't say anything to God. God confronted him. God said, if you do what's right, if you bring the right offering, you'll be accepted. If you don't, there's sin. Don't let it rule over you. And Cain didn't say a word. When God speaks to our hearts in a service such as this, how do you respond to God? If he speaks to you about a particular sin in your life, do you sit there as a knot on the log, not talk to him at all, not say a word? The invitation is given at that time that God wants you to consider what he has said to you today, and you sit here, is there a response in you, or do you sit there with no response at all? Do you sit there suppressing what the Holy Spirit of God is trying to get you to contemplate? With Cain, it was not in response at all. I pray that that's not the case today or any time as God speaks to your heart. 
Not only do we see his anger, but we see Cain's action. In verses 8 through 10, it says, And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and he talked with God, and he went back to his brother. Again, this is probably his twin. And uh, Cain went and talked with Abel, his brother, and he says, Do you think God's really gone? I mean, don't you think he's making too big a deal out of this? I don't know what he was saying to him, but I can only imagine. And uh, he is speaking there with, with his brother. And it came to pass that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. Let's stop right there. They were out in the field. Who do you think would see them? Let me ask you another question. How many people were in the world at that point? We know there was Adam and Eve, and we know there was Cain and Abel. We really don't know anymore for sure. Now, in the process of time, if there had been enough time, maybe, as the scripture says, that Adam and Eve, uh, after uh, sent there, had other sons and daughters. We don't know how much was born of any. But we do know there was at least four people in the world. The point is, going out in the field, it wasn't likely that anybody else would see them. And so that's where a lot of sin takes place, isn't it? The devil says, hey, nobody's going to find out. Yeah, who's going to see you around? As we'll see, God did. He knew exactly what had taken place. He murdered his brother. We would say, maybe somebody even thinking right now, but I would never murder anybody. Has anybody here murdered somebody? Says, I shall not kill, but I say to you, and he raises in, he says, if you hate someone else, you're guilty of murder. Have you ever hated somebody? Have those kinds of feelings? In our heart, we murder. Note this, his anger. Have you ever thought about, can I be angry and not sin? Possible. Um, let me call it righteous anger. Ephesians 4.26 Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down when you read Be angry and sin not. Well, what is righteous anger? Not what Cain had. Righteous anger, if anything, would be anger against sin. About sin. Or possibly angry about the way someone else treated someone else unfairly, maybe. But any time our anger is towards someone else, the sinner, especially if someone else has done us bad, that's not righteous anger. That's sin. Well, Pastor, you understand, they were wrong. I do understand that. But you don't understand that your anger is wrong. God says that we need to be careful about our anger in those conditions. Unrighteous anger. Look at verse um, 
verse 9, And the Lord said unto Cain, Well, here we have God initiating contact with Cain again. The Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? Did God not know? Yes, God knew. What did Cain do? He said, I don't know. Liar. You know, one sin brings about other sins, doesn't it? There are some people that have done so many things and they've told so many lies about it, they can't even keep the story straight themselves. It's so much better to live the truth. And when we're wrong, just admit we're wrong. We're people. We're going to be wrong from time to time. We're going to make mistakes. Fess up. I'm not perfect. Neither are you. But we've got to be willing to recognize and to admit. Cain said, I don't know where he is. Then Cain said, what, am I my brother's keeper? I'm not responsible to keep up with him. My life is the only other brother I got. Oh. Cain denied responsibility for his brother. Verse 10. And he, God said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood cried to me from the ground. Cried to me from the ground. God revealed his knowledge of Cain's actions. God knows all of our actions. He knows all of our thoughts. Uh, we're told in Matthew 12, 36, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Wow. David was talking this morning about, in a different way, but I thought about it this way. He was talking about, you have a string tied on your tongue. And I was thinking, oh, we need it sometimes. <laughs> Lord, help me with what I say. Because we so easy, the more we speak, the more we have the, the potential of sinning with our speech. And we have to recognize that. God will hold us in judgment. In the Gospels, at least six times, it says that, that Jesus knew their thoughts of what they were thinking. In Numbers uh, 32 and verse 23, it says, But if ye will not do so, and in the context it was not obey God's instructions. If you're not going to obey God's instructions, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. God knows what we do. God sees behind closed doors. God sees through the darkness. There is no darkness with Him. Proverbs 28:13, He that covers his sins shall not prosper, but whosoever confesseth and forsaketh him shall have mercy. When we recognize and are reminded that God knows what we did this past week, God knows what we thought. God knows what we said. It ought to bring us to our knees and say, Lord, I know I cannot cover this up. I must deal with it. 
because I don't want to live out of fellowship with you anymore. It ought to bring us to that point. He that covers his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesses and forsaketh him shall have mercy. Cain's evil response, his anger and his action. Number two, I want you to see God's loving judgment in verses 11 and 12. And now art thou cursed, God said. Here's the judgment. The word cursed there means he is judged there from the earth, of which hath opened her mouth and received thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee your strength. You remember when Adam and Eve sinned, God cursed this earth so that work was not cursed, but work would be more difficult. The ground would bring forth briars and weeds, and it would take more work to be able to grow the vegetables and, and produce correctly. But unto Cain, he says, Now, you tiller of the ground, you one that was producing such great crops, not just that the weeds and the briars are going to give you a hard time, but the dirt itself will not yield to grow your vegetables and plants anymore. A fugitive, an outcast, and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth, a wandering, aimlessly person, a nomad, We could go in and there's a whole lot more that can be said concerning God's judgment here of Cain. But I want you to understand two truths. Number one, God always judges sin. God always judges sin. His sin, their sin, other sin, my sin, God always judges sin. He judges sin of the lost, and he judges the sin of the saved, as we'll see in a moment. God always judges sin. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Some would say, well, you know, Cain didn't die. God just sent him away. Yes, he did die, didn't he? He did. And the scripture records it. But I want you to understand, not only did he die eventually physically, but Hebrews 9.27 says, It's appointed in a man once to die, but after this, the judgment. There is a death that's coming that's physical, but after that, there is a judgment. For the lost people of the world, when they die physically, they're going to stand before Jesus Christ in the great white throne judgment, and they're going to be judged, excuse <coughs> me, out of the books, it says, I believe it's the recordings of the works of their life, which are no good to receive salvation for, and specifically, out of the book of life, which their name will not be written in, and therefore, it says that they're going to experience a second death and be cast into the lake of fire. Some of you know the little equation that we've shared before. If you're born once, you'll die twice. If you're born twice, you'll die once. Somebody says, oh yeah. And others say, what? 
Now, for those who just said, what? Let me explain. If you're born once physically, then you're going to die physically and you're going to die spiritually. The second death and be cast into the lake of fire. But if you're born twice, if you're born physically and then you're born again spiritually, you trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you will die physically, unless the rapture takes place, you'll die physically, but you're not going to die spiritually because you've been given eternal life. And that is with the Father. And so for those of us that have trusted Christ, we have been born physically, we have been born spiritually, we may die physically, but we have everlasting life with God in heaven. Praise the Lord for that truth. <clears throat> God always judges sin for the lost or for the saved. And in Ezekiel 18, 4, it says, Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Every one of us individually will give an account before God. The lost will do so at the great white throne judgment. The saved will do so at what's called the judgment seat of Christ as we stand before him. It will not be for the saved to determine whether or not we're going to heaven we're there because we are. But it's going to be to give an account of the things that we've done in our bodies since we've been saved. Whether they are good for any kind of reward or whether they are worthless when it comes to reward. And believe me, every one of us are going to want reward from our Savior. Not because of what we think we deserve, but so that we can cast back in, in praise and glory to Him. And woe unto us that stand before Him empty-handed, without anything to show. God, I wanted your salvation, but didn't want anything else from you to serve you, Worship properly. What a sad state that would be. God always judges sin. Secondly, God always uses judgment. He always uses judgment for our good. <clears throat> There's another passage over in Hebrews chapter 12 that I alluded to just a moment ago. God judges us as believers. It's called chastisement. The author of Hebrews speaks about it, and he says in chapter 12, in verse 6, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son, son who he receiveth. Every person who receives Christ as Savior, God receives him as a child of his, and he is born again, he's in the family of God, he will always be a child of God. We shall never perish, Jesus said, once we have become his child. And we have that confidence. But when we sin, he treats us just like he did with Cain. He comes and confronts us because he loves us too much to leave us alone. He confronts us about our sin. He tugs at our heart. He wants us to, to repent and to confess and be restored in fellowship unto him. But when we stubbornly refuse, when we turn away and we don't want to hear from God and we're silent and not want response, God then begins, because He loves us, to bring chastisement into our lives. 
He brings in the scourging. Maybe in the form of a trial. Maybe a sickness. Maybe a difficulty. Maybe other things. I'm not saying that every time you get sick, God's spanking you. I'm not saying that every time there's a trial in your life that you've done some kind of sin or stubbly wrong. But certainly we ought to ask the question, Lord, is there something you're trying to get through to be about? But we ought to have a tender heart that says, Lord, I want to be what you want me to be. I want to respond how you want to, how you would be pleased with. If we have that, I believe, we'll respond correctly. And always his chastisement is more purpose. Verse 11 of chapter 12 of Hebrews. Now, no chastening is for the present, no, excuse me, no chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous. Ask any child. If they're getting a spanking, that's not fun. Don't like it. But it's nevertheless, afterward, it yielded the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. What does he say? Nobody likes to get experience chastised as a believer. It's not fun. But if we are exercised thereby, in other words, if we allow God to use that to get our attention and to turn back into Him, then it will bring about the peaceable fruits of righteousness in our life, which is for our benefit. For that is where the joy is. That is where the gladness is. That is where the benefit is in our life as God makes us more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. He can't do that process as long as we're stubbornly holding on to sin. But He loves us too much to leave us alone. And so God, we see, always uses judgment for our good. One commentator therefore made this statement. He says, and so what do I say? He's talking about, what do I say about God's chastening discipline in the form of trials that he brings in our life? I say, he says, I say, let the rains of disappointment come if they water the plants of spiritual grace. Let the winds of adversity blow if they serve to root more uh, securely the trees that God has planted. I say, let the sun of prosperity be eclipsed if that brings me closer to the true light of life, welcome, sweet discipline. Discipline designed for my joy. Discipline designed to make me what God wants me to be. Discipline designed to bring me back to God. Let it come, Lord, if that's what I need. The discipline to bring us back to where we stand before God. God's loving judgment. Cain and Abel did not know to understand all of what God was doing in the sacrifices that they were to bring in their worship to worship correctly. I'm sure that they didn't understand completely even though God had told Adam and Eve and in Genesis 3.15 the first promise and prophecy of of the seed of the woman that would come because even Adam and Eve, Eve thought that, that Cain was that seed. They didn't understand totally that it would picture the Lord Jesus Christ who would come many thousand years later into the world and be the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. 
but they were just to, by faith, do what God had said to bring the proper offering, to worship the way that was correct. Even though they did not understand, if they obeyed by faith, it was counted to them as righteousness, just like it was with Abraham, just like it is with us. We too have to make the same choices. The same choices. Proverbs 3 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. You may not understand all of what God says for us to do and why, but by faith we ought to make the choice to do the things that God says, even if we don't understand it all. But to do it because He said to do it. And by faith, when we obey, it's counted unto us for righteousness as well. He is pleased with, with what we do in obedience unto Him. Our God, our coming to God must be always by His way, the way that He says even if we don't understand it. It must be by faith. It is never connected to works. Not of works of righteousness which we have done. Also understand that God is too aware, too aware for us to hide our sin. He is omniscient. He knows everything. So there's no way that I can ever hide what I think, but alone what I do, what I say. And God is too loving to allow us to get away with sin without confronting us. He will confront us every time. But I ask our guests to come to the play the music. I want you to bow your heads right now. I want you to consider some questions I want to ask specifically toward you. No one looking around. Just think of these questions yourself. Number one, have you come to God by faith? Are you trusting Him only? Now, understand in this question, I'm asking, has there ever been a time in your life when you come to the realization that you know that you're a sinner and that you know and believe that Jesus Christ died for you and you understand that there is no sin too great for him to forgive. There's nobody that has ever lived so long as a sinner that God cannot forgive them. And that you, because of that, have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, and now you experience that child uh, relationship with our Heavenly Father that he spoke of. Have you come to that point and you could say to me, Pastor, I know there's no doubt in my mind that I have made that choice to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. If that is true of you this morning, could I see your hand very quickly? Everyone that has already made that choice, if you could raise your hand, please. Thank you. Let me put it down. Is there anyone here that would say, Pastor, just then, to be honest, I could not raise my hand? I'm not sure... 
And I feel like I probably have. And maybe there's a particular question that you've got that needs to be answered. But you would like for me to pray for you. I'm not going to call you by name. I'm not going to point you out. But you would just raise your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me about this area of salvation? Anybody at all? Adam and Eve taught their children when, where, and how to worship correctly. Parents, dads, do you teach your children that? Do they know when? Do they know where? Do they know how to worship God correctly? Children, you're listening right now. Don't look up and just think about what I'm fixing to ask you. You need to listen in order to learn, in order to do the good way that you're taught by your parents. Are you doing that? Are you listening to them? What does the Lord want you right now to confess that sin and to Him and maybe go to your parents and apologize for not obeying the way that you should? Christian, is there any sin that God wants you to deal with right now? I can't imagine what that would be, but the Lord knows exactly. And He can take His finger in a message like this and put it on a particular area of your life and speak to you about that sin. So my question is, has God done that this morning? Is there a particular sin that God has put His finger on that He knows that you need to deal with. Would you be willing to do that right now? Repent of it. That means turn away from the, from the sin and turn to the Lord, confessing it unto Him. Don't just say, God, forgive me of my sins, but name it. Confess it specifically unto Him. We ask His forgiveness, and He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't let pride or stubbornness get in the way. And then get up from here and go to right. Repent, confess, and then do right. Father, I pray that as we have listened today, as we have heard your word, as you through your Holy Spirit have touched our hearts, I pray that we would not sit here silently today, but that we will have a business with you and allow you, Lord, to cleanse our heart as necessary and to help us and prepare us to be able to get up from here and to go out and to do those things which are right. For we ask it all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for being here with us today. I do have um, a couple of announcements I want to share with you very quickly.